Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guests are Dr. Bernie Siegel and Charlie Siegel, and we will be discussing a book that they co-authored, When You Realize How Perfect Everything Is. Based on the anonymous quote, when you realize how perfect everything is, you will tilt your head back and laugh at the sky. Bernie and Charlie Siegel share their poetic short writings of their belief that the imperfections of life are truly what is perfect about it. Bernie and Charlie remind us that we're all, we all get knocked down sometimes by life's difficulties, but it's the rising back up that counts. That when we dare to experience life to its fullest, the imperfections of life are an opportunity for us to grow. A life journey of wonder and grace through the sections of destiny, emotion, relationship, nature, present moment, inner light, and hello God. Their heart will open as grandfather and grandson weave a conversation of love across the generations, sharing what it means to see beyond the challenges of life to the beauty in life's lessons. For more information, you can visit the website wisdomoftheages.biz, and also uh, uh, Dr. Bernie Siegel has his uh, uh, website, which is berniesiegelmd.com, and he also has a personal and business Facebook page, and Charlie Siegel can be found on Facebook and Instagram, both under Charlie Siegel and the Nature, Nature Photo by SC. So with that, I'd like to welcome Bernie and Charlie to the show. Good day, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It, it is my the, pleasure. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed reading your books. Your, the, your book that uh, uh, the back and forth entries, you know, between you both was um, was, was was quite fun. Um, so I'd like to first start with, if you wouldn't mind, um, I, I want to hear from each of you uh, what inspired inspired you to write poetry? How, how has poetry been a part of your life? So we'll, we'll start with Bernie. Well, all my troubles. I started writing poetry to get all my feelings out because I was keeping journals. And I, I often mention on my desk right now, I'm rereading it, 1996 journal. I've been writing them for decades to get the pain out because that was related to my occupation as a surgeon and wondering why God didn't make perfect people so I wouldn't have to operate on them and fix them and have them go through all that suffering. And when you become a doctor, they train you, as Jung said, the diagnosis helps the doctor, but it doesn't help the patient. For there, the key thing is the story. And I couldn't deal with the human suffering because I wasn't trained to. I was trained to treat a diagnosis. 
And out of that pain, I began to write, to get it out. Because various people were telling me, what are you covering up? And as a matter of fact, Charlie's into photography. I'm into painting portraits. And my portrait of myself, when everybody got tired of posing from pets to children, (laughs) I put up a mirror and painted myself in a surgical outfit, a cap, a mask, and a gown. You don't know it's me if you come in the house and look at the painting. And that's why I started writing poetry. I've got to get this out. Now, I'm not saying that every poem is terrible, because a lot of times something beautiful would happen. I mean, I can remember saying, I met a poem today and wrote that as a poem. I didn't write a poem today, I met one. And I met this beautiful child, and I thought, there's poetry, you know, with skin on. So, again, it was the good feelings, the love, uh, God. I mean, just whatever came up, I would write. So it didn't sit within me. It would come out. And I learned from my wife, who saw my journal when I forgot to hide it, that there was nothing (laughs) funny in it. And she woke me up to the good things in my life that I never wrote about. So that's how all the poetry eventually got done. And I have to add a word before oh. Charlie talks because he's incredible. I, I, You know, when I read the things that he's written at his age, it's like, where did that come from? And I'm sure he must have had some remarkable past life, um, you know, that that's in him and bringing this forth because of who he is, what he is. Yes, I know his parenting and upbringing and so forth all these things participated but he just blows me away and that's why we ended up with a book i never stopped talking forgive me but (laughs) i'll stop in a minute (laughs) but um i was starting to write a book called no endings only beginnings about life and helping people with difficulties and spirituality and and I was talking to Charlie about it, and we started talking and talked about his poems. And I said, I've written poems, and I send him all my poems, and boom. You know, it's like we became Siamese twins and, uh, you know, put together our own book with all our poetry. Because it's amazing when you've written poems with the same titles, you know, all the things that we were paying attention to in life. I'll stop. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. So, so Charlie, yes, let's let's hear about your um, because from the sound of it, um, uh, what your grandfather just said is that you were writing before he knew you were writing poetry. Yeah. Um, so it's it's pretty interesting the, the way our book came together. That uh, he had written a lot of his poems, like he was saying, like through the eighties and nineties, and um, I've written poetry. I started. Um, so I, I started being a photographer first, like coming out of high school, I had done an intro to photography course in high school and, um, really fell in love with it more than I had been already. And I started a business of nature and wildlife photography. And, um, and then I, I was starting to write more and more. And uh, I would, as I still do get these kind of inspirations that just appear in me and feel like I got to write this down. I got to share it. Um, so I started writing and I ended up making um, like photo poetry prints, c- combining my writing and my photography. 
And then as, as I was talking with Grandpa Bernie, as he was putting together his next book, um, he asked me if I had written anything on God that I could share with him. And I was like, it's one of my favorite things to write about people's spirituality and, and connection and things. So I sent him some of mine and, and he sent me his. And so I went through his work and I found many uh, circumstances where I had written from like 2013 or so to present and comparing my work with his that we wrote totally separately. Like he said, we've written a lot of poems with the same title. There's a lot of them that have the same uh, metaphoric kind of uh, phrasing going through it, same topics. These, the seven different chapters that you mentioned, it's, that's the topics that we've both written on. And it's like we were having this kind of subconscious conversation without knowing it that came through in the poetry. So the, the book just naturally came about as like, let's line these up in the conversation that they are. Um, and we put some of my photography in and you know, made something beautiful that we want to get to be able to, to help people and inspire them. Um, and I, I talk about too, a lot of my inspiration for my work comes from that my mom started a store called wisdom of the ages in Simsbury, Connecticut when I was three and uh, she grew up really spiritually with my grandparents on her side and was carrying on in, in that way with starting the store. So like as a little kid and then I was homeschooled. So I did a lot of my work in the back of the store. I would listen to her teaching meditation and, and helping people with things they're going through in life and, and teaching spiritual practices. So it just became part of everyday life for me to, to think in a deeper kind of way and, and work on the things she was teaching them and teaching me and, um, it's cool that Grandpa Bernie and I have come to, uh, like like he said, a very similar kind of place where we connect. And we got there in different ways, but then you look at the poetry and, and there's so much similarity. It's great to be able to share this. Yeah, it, it's, it's wonderful. You know, the, the idea that you, know, you, you came up with, you know, very, I mean, the, the topics are similar and, and that it, there was decades in between I think goes to uh, demonstrate how timeless really the um, topics that you wrote about um, are and the, just the human experience, you know, that, that these are things that, um, you know, can be, you know, probably were felt for eons in, in the past and, and will be in the future. Um, so now this uh, collaboration, how, uh, how did it, um, impact your relationship? Did it impact your relationship with each other? And if so, how? Um, and we'll start with Charlie. Just. Shall I uh, go I first like again? It brought us a lot closer. I mean, I want to say uh, I'm so impressed with him. It's just a pleasure to have him as a grandchild, all right? Uh, even if you aren't a grandchild, just all the things he's done, I would be very impressed with him. And, uh, well, you know what's interesting? Um, Ashley Montague, the anthropologist, he and I spoke at a meeting. And after my talk, he said, I thought you gave a wonderful talk. But then he said, but you have to understand it's because I agree with you. And I'd say the same thing, you know, with Charlie and I. We both think we give wonderful mm -hmm. talks and write wonderful poems because we agree with each other, because we're <laughs> seeing the same kinds of things in life. And, you know, when you find somebody who agrees with you, it's a good feeling. And I don't mean that 
you know, that uh, if I had terrible points of view and somebody agreed with me, I'm, I'm talking about really seeing life and the pain of life and right. the difficulties and the learning that goes into it. Um, and then sharing that with others, that our goal is to help other people. I mean, in one, I think in my other book, I may mention it or not, but I mean, what pops into my head when I say this is we need to all write Bible too. You know, it's like our own book of directions. Um, because if people really studied the Bible, Charlie and I wouldn't need to write a book. You got a problem, I'm sure you can find the solution to it in the Bible. The wisdom, the spirituality, all that's in there. And yet, I also have to say at the same time, because uh, I've often said to God, I can't understand you and your parables you got to explain things to me. Um, <laughs> and so Charlie and I are writing Bible too and explaining things to people. Um, so you're not reading something and saying, what is he talking about? What does that mean? What is this symbol about? Um, it's plain English, and we're sharing our pain, so we're no different than the person reading the book. Yeah, you know, we've we've like we kind of knew the connection we had through seeing that poetry um, connection, but then you know get getting to to do this project together, it's it's something special, and it's definitely um, like I've seen a, a side of him, and he's seen a side of me. That's it's nice to get to share this with each other, and like like you said, we want to help people through our work and. Uh, and we go through these different topics in it where it's it's offering, you know, a different perspective on life. And basing the, the book on that quote was when I went through all of our poetry, I had seen that, that quote, when you realize how perfect everything is, you'll tilt your head back and laugh at the sky. And I saw that the kind of the, the over-the-top inclusive message across all of our different topics of poetry was that message that when you see those difficulties in life, they can be what's perfect when you look back on it. They can be what gave you the opportunity you needed to learn and grow and it will become a beautiful work of art in your own way. Yeah, one of the quotes from Charlie in the calendar he's made with his photographs and statements is, and I recite this often, my candle burns not to dispel the darkness, but to put forth the light. And that's what we're trying to do with our writing. Light up life for people. Help them see what's in front of them. And understand that the perfection isn't about creation being perfect. As I always say, well, actually learned it from God. He said, if I made a, a really perfect world... Nobody would have anything to do, and you'd all be bored. I mean, you wouldn't have a role in life. And I think what we're trying to let people know is it is perfectly imperfect, but that's what gives us a role. We become co-creators with them. You know, like writing a poem. That's creation, too. And if people find their way of creating, they'll create a much happier and healthier world for themselves and others. Yeah, I agree. Now, um, Charlie, I must say that, you know, I have a deep appreciation for photography, and you picked uh, some perfect, I mean, they're black and white photos, and, and you know, it's, um, it's sometimes easy to make things look, you know, 
uh, outstanding when you have colors and you know, vivid colors and, and all that kind of thing. But to have a an impactful black and white is you know is um, an art. And, and I have to say though, um, looking at yours, you know, you definitely have have mastered that art. No, thank you. And I, I normally shoot in color, and it was part of the publishing process. We chose black and white. It was nice to get to pick these out and. Um, like the relationships uh, chapter has uh, like two people together and two birds together. And uh, I've, I've uh, had some good fortune so far to get to photograph in some really beautiful places. So that's, it's nice to get to bring that to people. And I started my photography business and, and I, I take pictures with the goal that I want my work to be like a window that people can connect with. I call it the healing beauty of nature's touch through that work um, that like when we're busy and we're going around in life now and sometimes we overlook that that we're part of everything around us. So to get to have a, like a, a piece of that nature and you know, bring it in and have it on your wall and connect with it, it's, um, I want to help to you know, bridge that gap between people and nature and help us remember that connection. Another yeah, practical right. thing that impressed me about Charlie, the cover of the book, has one bird on it because you were just talking about relationships. So I said to Charlie and the editor, hey, it's two of us have written a book. We need two birds on the cover. And Charlie's answer meant so much to me. He said, no, that's the person reading the book. They're finding their way, their path. And again, you know, (laughs) it's like, wow, where did he (laughs) think of that? Where did that come from? And my wife would all, yeah. when people would say, "Where did? You, how did you say that? And she'd say, oh, it comes from God knows where. And I think, you know, Charlie's <laughs> the same way. He says things and does things. And when you say, where did that come from? It came from God knows where. Um, so all those simple things really keep impressing me. And I love that soul bird on the cover. It's <laughs> each of us. Yes, it does. You know, and, it, and it, it's very good with it um, flying high, kind of um, looking down at me. It does have that idea of um, overlooking, you know, kind of what is going on. Um, and so, now uh, I want to talk a couple about a couple of the particular sections and, and a couple of the entries, um, just to give the listeners an idea of, of what the book contains. Now, since we were talking about God, um, the actual the, the seventh uh, section in the book is called "Hello God." Um, and uh, I, I picked one from each of you, and, and uh, if you can maybe tell us the, the story behind it or maybe what, you know, just the feeling that you want to invoke. Um, and for Bernie, um, the one that I liked with yours was from a distance. Um, and it might be because, you know, when that you start off the, the poem talking about the song, and when that song was, um, popular, I had a wonderful trip to Maui. <laughs> you know, so I have, you know, like, you know, how they play songs over and over. So every time I see from a distance, I, I have this, you know, kind of like a Pavlovian reaction of Hawaii, um, which is a, mm. a good feeling. But would you mind sharing with the listeners um, a, a bit about that? Um, because I think there's some really important, uh, an important message in that. Well, where, what page was that distance on? So, one eighteen. One All right, because I have the book, yeah. but I didn't. See. Yeah, here it is. Let me oh. look. Because again, I talk to God every day, 
Um, and I've learned also, I may add, I'm not talking just to ask for help. I'm, you know what I mean, to God to fix things. I'm, I'm talking to God to help guide me and to let me, so that I can be what I call God's right arm. Because um, I'm always telling people that I've been, I'm on the board of directors of heaven as a consultant. So one of the things that impressed me when I was up there was the admission line. And you get to the head of the line, they say, how do you want to be introduced to God? And if you say, oh, I'm a New York lawyer, they say, come back when you know who you are. <laughs> I mean, the, the key is, I learned, that when somebody says, God knows me, I'm God's child, I'm God's right arm, I've been doing things for God, they say, go ahead in. And we all need to not feel separated from our Creator. I mean, we were, I say, created in order to give God something to work with you know, to help fix things and do things. So let me read from a distance. They sang, God is watching us from a distance. I don't agree. I know God, and it is a short trip to God. If you'd like me to introduce you to yourself someday, let me know. When I was a child, I thought God was way up there, a long way off. Now I know God is here. Those who understand know that if you can't see God, it's because you can't stoop low enough or think you have to be tall enough to see in a mirror. Be still, bend forward, get close to yourself, and water will reflect your godliness too. And the reason I mention water is how often it appears in myths, fairy tales, all kinds of stories the key is that you see yourself truly for the first time, only if it's a still pond. If there's turbulence in your mind, you know, that's sort of like related to the title of the book, um, when you realize how perfect everything is. So when you do, the pond is still. And when you look down, you realize you're a swan also. Or as Joseph Campbell said, one tiger sees another tiger with goats because the mother had died and the goats brought him up. So he says to the tiger, hey, stupid, you're not a tiger. Come with me. Where does he take him? To a still pond. And then they both bend over and he says, see, you're a tiger. You look like me. And that's the part that we all have to learn about, that if you can't quiet your mind, you'll be cursing your mother and never know you're a swan because of how she abused you and threw you out of the house. And the same with the tiger. So how you brought, are brought up makes all the difference in your world, in your life. I may throw in a statistic as a doctor. Harvard students who said their parents loved them, 24% had suffered a major illness by middle age. Those who said, no, I wasn't loved by my parents, 98% had suffered a major illness. And I truthfully learned, because of one suicidal teenager in my office, to become a CD. <laughs> if you don't know what that means, and neither did I, I said, what are you talking about? I'm a CD. You're my chosen dad. So I started loving people and letting them know that. You know, I didn't have to like what they were doing, but I loved them, kept them from destroying themselves. I mean that literally. Um, 
And yeah. so, again, oh. I think putting this book together, we want people to know we love them and to share this with them and help them to love themselves and feel loved and live an authentic life. Yeah, definitely. You know, and that particular one, you know, the idea of, of recognizing kind of like, like God within, you know, rather than having it be something that's eternal. Um, now, Charlie, in, in, that, in that section, you have um, an entry called The Bench. And this is like, it's kind of funny because it really piggybacks on um, uh, Bernie's, uh, you know, entry as well. Um, but The, the Bench is... Um, is different in that it was longer. I mean, it's like three pages. <laughs> you know, my goodness. Um, or something like that. But uh, tell us about that because um, it, uh, I, was, um, I was really drawn into that particular story. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so we, we decided we would close the book with the bench. Uh, it's one of my short stories, and I actually I wrote a novel um, in 2017, and I'm working on more uh, spiritual fiction novels to come. Um, so I've written several short stories also, and we picked that one out to, to include in the book. It's, it, it presents the idea that what if you met a little kid on a bench that says he's sitting there talking to God? Like how would a kid's perspective on, on talking to God help help us as adults to like to connect more and to see things? And I call it like a pure perspective. Um, so it, it, got, it walks through uh, a man's interactions with him over several days and, and how it affects them. And um, it gives us a different perspective on things. And I, I like to, uh, to write like when, when a perspective comes to me, it's like, I'm grateful for that. And I want to get to help pass it on to people. And um, that, that story came about when I had that, that notion on, on a whole different perspective or way of doing it. Um, and I've, I've seen a quote from a saint, I think it was in the Middle Ages, that said that to talk to God like a friend you're in a conversation with. And um, the, the story, you know, built around um, this idea. And, and I was brought up with you know, my mom, like I said, teaching those spiritual classes and uh, teaching like you have a piece of God inside you and to, to connect to that and like have a conversation with it and, and it's to, stay, like, to stay open to that, keep that connection on. Um, so that that's one of my stories to share along that perspective. Yeah, I like that. Um, it was, you know, it's a it's a practice that I think, you know, after people read the book, read that story, that that entry, that they can um, incorporate into to their daily life. Uh, now we're about halfway through, so I want to take just a real quick ninety second break, um, and then when we return. Um, one uh, one other section that I'd like to talk about um, was is nature our teacher, um, mm. and in that particular one, um, Charlie, your nature heals, um, and then Bernie's uh, entry silence. Those are two that I'd like to talk about. Okay. Okay. Hey, everyone, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,400 shows we have had over the past nine years. Also on the site, 
is a link to the products and services we provide. Books, photography, a wellness store, and self-publishing assistance. Our show is a free podcast on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on many social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms at the top of our homepage. Our website, ByteRadio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone. Thank you for staying with us again today. My special guests are Dr. Bernie Siegel and Charlie Siegel, and we are talking about the book that they have just released called When You Realize How Perfect Everything Is. You can find out more by visiting the website, wisdomoftheages.biz. Um, and you can also find um, Bernie on Facebook. He has both a business and a personal page. And then Charlie on Facebook and Instagram uh, for the personal Charlie Siegel, author Charlie Siegel, and the um, business one, Nature Photo by SC. So with that, I'd like to welcome both back to the show. Hello, sir. Thanks. Okay. So, um, nature, our teacher. You know, these are. This is one. Um, I love nature as well, and I just just know how much that it's a. Uh, um, it can be a really um, helpful and grounding um, place in one's life. So, um, Charlie, in, in your entry in that one was called um, Nature Heal. So, can you tell us a little bit of. Um, about the entry and, and maybe what was happening at that time or what uh, message yeah. about. Sure. Um, yeah, so we, we put together that nature, our teacher chapters. There's a lot of poems we've both written about nature and the way these you know, patterns and, and experiences that we witness in nature, that like we're living those also in our own life and we can take healing and inspiration from it. And I'll go ahead and read that uh, that poem of mine, Nature Heals. When the days are tough and the nights grow cold and fierce, I turn to the blessed spirit of nature, that I would not fight the grief, but I would pat it on the head and say, take a breath, my sweet, there's no reason to grow upset. Let the wind carry away the sharpness of the pain and soothe your aching bones. Let the trees sing you their songs of peace and let the sun warm your face. Here together with the love of nature, we can be at peace. Um, So I, I wrote this one as, Sometimes when I uh, when I go to write a poem, it it sort of just happens and, and flows out in a way. This was one of them, uh, but it's presenting the idea that um, it's you know when you think about your emotions, it's the idea that we're not our emotions; they're just visitors that are here for a time in us and in our lives. So when we look at um, th- that line that um, that I would not fight the grief, but I would pat it on the head and say, uh, and it goes on that we look at it like if you look at the grief being there that you can you know, comfort, comfort the grief, comfort that emotion or situation that you're dealing with and uh, look at it like, like one piece, like a visitor for a time. Uh, and when you, we can look at, at nature and the way that, you know, that the trees handle that flow of the wind and then they're, they're at peace again and everything flows in that circle of movement. We can take 
and take take heart from that and help it to comfort us. Um, so it, it changes the way we might deal with it instead of it being that like a difficult situation can be this all-encompassing thing or we um, some people would end up looking at like your reaction to a situation as like a part of you. If we look at it more as something that's there for a time and we can comfort it and, and turn to nature for help, that it can be a good way to take it. And my first uh, my first book that I wrote, Conversations, Conversations with an Angel, um, it's a story of healing through the passageways of grief. And it uh, walks through a story of a guy um, who's walking through Central Park and talks through a lot of his emotions about grief and how he works through it with nature and until he's met by an angel that teaches him more of the spiritual side. Uh, but that piece about nature comforting us and helping us, and it can be a really powerful kind of thing so uh, when I wrote that poem it was coming out of writing my first book and putting some of those messages in, into one short piece here yeah it's, it's wonderful you know the reason that one struck me particularly uh, strong was just because of just of what people have been going through for the last few months just, you know regarding grief you know and, and, and loss yeah just um, how challenging it is for people to sign to um, to cope with, with it. It is. It's definitely a harder time around the world, and and I feel like it's important that we like acknowledge that, and it's you know, grieving like as a society and as a world, um, and then looking at what we can do to, to help each other and and help going forward. And um, I say it like if you think of having a, a totally dark room and you light a candle in that room, it's the most beautiful place that the candle can burn. So when we, it's important to like to acknowledge how, how awful a lot of this is. Um, but then we look at what light we can share where, where we can, and then it can be a beautiful way that we can find to, to reach out to each other and help one another. That's part of us. We, we pick to release our book, uh, a little bit sooner than we had originally planned to, so we could be able to release it out to people during this time and have something out to help. That's right, yeah, because that is, um, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing for, you know, I think for people to just even, you know, after they get the book, write it down on a piece of paper and, and when they're out there in, in, in nature or, or just, but, you know, in, in solitude, you know, to be able to um, to read it and kind of, you know, get get that um, a piece. You know that, that they may be looking for. Um, now, now, Bernie, yours, which happens to be right after that particular one in the in the order of the book, um, is silence. And and, and yeah. I, I like that one just because, um, again, it seems for the the times that it's something that could really help people. So, would you mind talking just a little bit about about that um, particular well, thing? I mean, yes, it really happened, but what I was also thinking about, and I mention this frequently, that we're all told because of the coronavirus to stay home. And people need to wake up to the fact that the earth is our home for all of us and how we treat each other. We're all family. We're all next-door neighbors. You know, we can't say, oh, no, my home is here in this country and your home is in that country. We're all, we all have the same basement, <laughs> the earth. And I think we 
really need to wake up for that to that and i hope that the disease will become a teacher because literally when i say to people what are you experiencing when they're going through life threatening illnesses and problems most of them come up with negative words but some come up with a wake up call a new beginning a blessing because it gives them such a jolt that they have to think about life and wake up to the meaning of life and what they're here for and everything else. So I think, you know, people start thinking of yourself as home on this planet and everybody you meet every day is family, neighbor, in the same house as you are. And treat them that way. And silence. Yeah, very much. One more thought. If you had to be blind or deaf tomorrow morning, which would you choose? Oh. Oh. Why would I? Boy. Um, I I would have a hard time choosing. I would have a hard time choosing. Um, Well, most people... I I mean... Obviously, well, say well, I'd rather well, be deaf because of their fear of blindness. Except for musicians, if you ask a band, "Would you rather be blind or deaf tomorrow?" They say blind because they want to keep playing in the band. Um, and I've learned that from Helen Keller because, to summarize what she said, deafness is darker by far than blindness. So one point for mm-hmm. people is listen to others. So they get to hear themselves, know themselves, and then you'll get credit for being enormously helpful. And I'm serious when I say that. I've listened to people ramble on about all their tragedies and horrors for literally a couple of hours. And at the end, they'd said to me, that's the greatest conversation I've ever had with anyone. And I hadn't said a word. (laughs) But they heard themselves, and I got credit for it. And the silence happened up on Cape Cod. Um, My wife and I, years ago, we had a house up there. And uh, you go up off-season, and you go out on the sand dunes, and there's nothing. No cars, no businesses. uh, There's just nothing except the wind and maybe a bird overhead uh, who might chirp. But there's no mechanical noises. And I thought my head was going to explode. And let me read this to you. Fax, phone, mail, life. Whose home is this? What do they all want? Where is the silence? I remember hearing nothing, surrounded by sand dunes and nature. God, how beautiful and deafening is silence. It drowns out the fax, phones, and mail. Silence is so loud, nothing can or need be heard. I need to be silent inside until I can return to the silence outside to hear it all. And I can tell you, even at night, if I go to sleep, silence, it's harder for me to fall asleep in silence because it's so loud. So I often put on like a fan. Uh, or something of that sort, and I have a background noise, and then it's easier to fall asleep. Because when it's complete Mm -hmm. silence, 
you're listening to yourself and in your own mind and hearing yourself. So pay attention to the silence and learn about yourself. Yeah, right now, I mean, we're in a period where people, um, I mean, that self-discovery is um, is kind of right in everybody's faces. <laughs> you know, people are um, spending more time with their family and, and uh, kids and spouses and, and seeing what that's like. Um, also, people aren't, you know, interacting at the job. So, you know, the, that who am I, <laughs> you know, that you talked about when you grew up in um, right. to, to introduce yourself, you know, that kind of thing is, you know, people, if they have defined themselves as I'm a, a New York lawyer, you know, that, um, you know, if they're not able to go, you know, into the city or, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're learning that um, they are more than um, what they do. Yeah. That's yeah. absolutely, yeah, the key. And uh, yeah, but yet much. people are so busy doing because they're they don't have time to think or feel. So we're doing. I mean, I've had men in my office who are, I'd say, far likely, less likely to read the poetry, you know, read a book like this or or keep a journal of their own feelings than the women. And they'll say, and these are quotes. I don't make it up. You know. Um, there's no. This is a quote from a man sitting with his wife and three children in my office saying, there's no point in living. I can't work anymore. And I pointed to yeah. the four people on his left who might be a good reason to be alive. And he looked like I'd hit him in the head with a mallet, you know, that it gave him a different orientation about life. And women come in with that, see, They'll say, I can't die till they're all married and out of the house. Or, (laughs) you know, one woman had 12 cats, so I knew she couldn't die if a kid said to her, nobody wants 12 cats, Mom. And I got them to clean her house, though, because they said it smells bad. (laughs) But, you know, I know those things work because it changes your chemistry. And the writing, the poetry is healthy for you, too. Because, again, it's bringing forth what is within you. Yeah, that's a biblical line. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. If you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. And it's bringing the truth forth. forth, forth. In other words, becoming who you really are and not waiting till you're told you have a few months to live to start writing poems and start doing all the things you love to do and then realize how good that is for your health when you're enjoying life. So, you know, I say to everybody, we're all mortal. Uh, so do things that come from your heart. Uh, and that's something so many people with the coronavirus, AIDS, all these, you know, afflictions, live in your heart. Magic happens. And yeah, boom. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Now, now this is just a, technical thing but it's one thing i noticed is in, in your in your book um you have the the entry and then at the bottom of the entry is the title now i have read a lot of poetry books and i don't think i have read a one that had that format now um 
tell, I mean, you know, it may seem like a, a simple thing, but, but um, I'm curious as to why it was, why you, you know, did it that way. I think it's cool you noticed that. I, I had wanted that, actually, and our, our publisher editor went along with it because uh, I wanted people to get to read the poetry and see what it spoke to them about. Um, I think sometimes picking a title for a poem is one of the most difficult things of writing a poem because it can have so many interpretations, so many healing messages for people depending on where they're at when they're reading the poem. And you know, if they read it a couple of years later, they might be get something totally different out of it. Um, so I wanted people to get to read the whole poem first, see what it spoke to them about, and then see the title we put on it. But you know, maybe you'd put a different title on it and it said something different to you. Um, so I, I, when we had put the title at the top, I, I thought of it like if you see the title first, you kind of get like a predisposed idea to what that's going to tell you. Um, and I've learned through classes with my mom and stuff that sometimes one of our biggest limitations in life is having a, a predetermined idea on on something, on what something's going to be or what something can teach us and what will happen to us when you leave it open to Oh, I'm, I'm going to make this the best it can be and like open to the possibilities of, of good things. You, you can get more, more out of something, you can learn more. So um, I like to, to have it uh, this way with the title at the bottom. Yeah. It's cool you notice that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I never thought of it as any, anything unusual or a problem. Let me read you one paragraph of one of my poems. I've learned from traveling alone that the load is really no lighter for a lonely heart weighs much more than a bag which can't be packed any tighter. And it's called The Beautiful Burden by me. Because when I traveled, and women know this, with my wife, I mean, she brought everything that wasn't nailed down at home. You know, all kinds of odds mm-hmm. and ends and makeup and God knows what. But I always said, if anybody had an emergency, all I had to do was open her pocketbook and I'd find something for them. Um <laughs> And it really often happened because, you know, she just bring everything from home. And but it taught me that the heavy heart weighs more than a bag packed, you know, with all the objects that Bobby would put in it. And uh, it woke me up to love, you know, that I didn't want to travel alone. I wanted her to come along with me. And it was hard when she was busy or couldn't. Um, and so again, it touched my heart and I put it on paper, uh, to get it out of my system and also often to read to her. Um, I, yeah. I presume the poem divorce is in here. Just a moment uh, <laughs> yeah, it's about relationships chapter. Yeah. Um, because this really, again, something true and I'm trying to communicate with my wife, um, she came home from shopping, says to me, oh, I have to run to the bathroom. So she goes running. Um, and I thought, hey, you're going to be a nice husband. Go out and bring in all the groceries and put them away. So I did. <laughs> and then I'm standing in the kitchen waiting for my wife to tell me I am such a wonderful husband for what I did. And the only thing she said was, you don't put tomatoes in the refrigerator. I thought, what the hell? I'd go through all this trouble, and all I get is criticism. So I went to my room, and I wrote this. Tomatoes don't belong in the refrigerator. I did it again. 
My wife may never forgive me. Our marriage is on the rocks. I snore, put tomatoes in the fridge, walk, and eat too fast. The divorce lawyer doesn't know how to help us reach a valid settlement for my cruelty. He suggests we try to work it out, give love a chance, and don't put tomatoes in the fridge. I read his settlement to my wife. She laughs. I love her when she laughs and forget the difficult times. We fire the lawyer and take the tomatoes out of the fridge. And I can tell you, when I came back to the kitchen having written this poem, because I was trying to get across to her, you really hurt my feelings. She did burst out mm-hmm. laughing, and then everything was solved because the two of us are laughing. But it got the point across. <laughs> and yeah. I think, yeah. you know, if people handle it that way, uh, instead of getting into an argument, a fight, uh you don't resolve it, but this resolved it forever. Yeah, well, I, poetry as a form of conflict resolution is yep. definitely right there. Uh, so, um, and, and Charlie, um, regarding that, that bottom part, you you were right. Um, you know, it, I have the digital copy, so I, when I first went through it, you know, and I saw the title, I'm, I was thinking that that was like on the next page. And anyway, it mm. took me like two or three entries until I realized, oh, I get it. You know, read you know, read it first. You know, devote your energy and attention to the message. You know, and then you know, this is by the way what it's called. If you want to talk about it, kind of thing. Yeah. Go ahead mm-hmm. if you have something. Go ahead. But I was just going to say that you know when you talk about the two of us, we both wrote poems about trees, and you know that's the part that always connected us. And, and made it interesting for me to see that we're seeing things and writing about them. You know, that there's a part of each of us that is like the other person, uh, especially when we respond with a poem to the same subject. Yeah. Well, there's you know, a point in, the, in the DNA, mm-hmm. the DNA, excuse me. Mm-hmm. There's a cool point in the relationship. Oh, there's a cool Mm -hmm. point in the relationship chapter. It opens it actually. I wrote a poem called Travels, and he wrote a poem called Travel. Um, They're they're two short ones. I think I can give you those neat examples of writing pretty much the same thing, but a little different take on it. So his poem Travel, uh, where are the two of us going? How will we know when we arrive? Perhaps we're already there. If only we knew where we belonged. We do, but are we brave enough to go there? Are we traveling to or running from? Time to come out, come out wherever you are and come home. And I wrote one. I'd taken a picture of two daffodils leaning on each other, which is actually in the in that chapter. And I wrote a poem that it was like the, the flowers were kind of telling me this message. It says, we set out together that cold spring day where the wind was like ice and the setting sun cast shadows in which we were giants and tell us of how our journey would take us to places bigger than we'd ever imagined. Did you ever think it would get us here? My, how we marvel at the travels of our own hearts, but come to realize that it was the growth within them that really mattered. And then it was neat to see that he had already written a similar piece, and um, they get to bring this conversation to people at something special. Yeah, I mean, I'd say what that poem says, I feel that, I could have written it, if you know what I mean. It's the message uh-huh. that I'm saying, yes, yes, yes. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So um, what would you say, let's, let's start with Bernie, what would you say to people out there who say poetry, I just can't do it? Now, that's just something that, you know, oh, yes. it's just not in me to do that. What would you say to that's that? That's something that kind of I ran into when I was trying, after a, a patient of mine said, I need to know how to live between office visits. I started support groups to help people live. And I couldn't believe that only 12 women showed up when I had sent out 100 letters telling about this group meeting and not saying you couldn't bring family or friends with you. And when 12 women showed up, I realized I don't know the people I'm dealing with, but people are so afraid of failing. I would ask people Mm -hmm. to draw pictures which you can interpret like a poem. Um, you know, how do they look? What parts are missing? What does their home look like? Does the treatment look like the devil giving you poison or a gift from God? All these different things that related to it. And what what happened then? I'm not an artist. I had my 12-year-old draw this for me. I don't have time to read a book. Um it shocked me. You were trying to help people save their lives, and they don't have time for it. Then I have to say what I learned about, and the people became, by my wife, called exceptional patients, and that's what we ended up calling our group, exceptional cancer patients, because I've had calls from people saying, I'd like to come to your next meeting. I said, it's tomorrow. So... You have to do things first, draw some pictures, read a book, blah, blah, blah. Okay, what do you mean okay? I'll stay up tonight and do it. And those people are exceptional and do have better survival statistics. I mean, one doctor even with a new treatment came up. He noticed that the people who had to drive the longest distance to get this new treatment had a better survival rate than the ones that lived right next to the hospital. So, I mean, I have mm-hmm. to say that's not about poetry, but it's about the poetry of life. When you're living that poetry yeah. and not worrying about, oh, what if it doesn't rhyme? What if people say it's not good? Right. That's not the issue. It's bringing it forth yeah. from within you. Yeah. And Charlie, how about you? What would you say to someone out there who maybe just doesn't have uh, confidence but may be you know, curious about doing that? Uh, about writing poetry, when, when you like, so I can go back to when, like in elementary school, they had me doing like studying like rhyming poetry and things like that, and I was not a fan of it. And I remember then going into like uh, English literature and things in high school. They started having us uh, kind of dissect three verse poetry, take piece by piece, and what does this represent? What might uh, what what might they be sharing here? And I really fell in love with it and found this way that. You know, people can have an idea and, and pass it along to other people, like uh, you know, like sharing the the light from from a candle. Like you light their candle with here's this idea for a perspective that you can have that that can help you. Uh, and sometimes just you know honoring the beauty of the world or or experiences we have can be a great way in poetry. So that that notion of like it doesn't have to be rhyme, rhyme or be like locked in this box in a certain way. It can be what you want it to be and what feels right to you. Uh, you'll notice as you go through our book that 
uh, Grandpa Bernie and I each have our own distinct voice and tone through the way we write. Mm-hmm. And then some of my writing is, is like a super tiny short story. It's like a conversation between two characters discussing a topic and, and you see like the evolution of, of someone figuring it out um, on that topic. So like write what feels right to you. Uh, it's all about writing what, what comes forth from your heart and what inspires you. And it can be your own your own tone, your own take on it. Um, and, and if you want to follow certain, um, like, preset ways of writing, then, like, maybe that's meant for you. I feel like everybody has their own their own feel. Um, I was actually just watching the, the movie based on, on Freddie Mercury's life the other night and watching the variety of different songs that he wrote and, and the people in, in Queen wrote. It's like you see that one person can have so many voices within them, and it's, it's healthy for us to get to share that and um, and you might have something to share that somebody else needs to hear. Yeah, let me so say that, this: uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, Charlie. Yep. Yeah, we got a movie. I yeah, it, it was. I mean, he he was a phenomenal talent, and and um, yeah, poetry really comes through um, in that movie with with songs creations. So I'm sorry, Bernie. What yeah. were you going to say? No, I was going to say that people not be afraid of failing because I got a C, one C in four <laughs> years in college in creative writing. And now I almost have Uh-oh. 20 books written, you see. <laughs> um, yeah, and and it happened because it, it's, you know, bringing forth what was yeah. within me. And that's what people have to realize. Stop worrying about failing I'm not a writer. I'm not a this. I'm not a that. Do what feels good. Because we have five children, and I used to laugh because, boy, they were tough on me. Um, well, if they didn't like my behavior, they would just say, you're not in the operating room now. But I said, oh, I'm going to have a book published. They said, call it out of my mind. <laughs> And, you know, you might say, well, maybe I better not do it if they're going to feel like that. And the other one I got a kick out of, I told them once, oh, I'm getting an award uh, that some well-known people have gotten. And their reaction was, oh, they've lowered their standards. And we laugh, (laughs) you know, because we need coaches. See, they're not being critical. They're not saying, you don't know how to write. You don't know how to this. You don't know how to that. They're making fun, and I call that coaching. So you pay attention to what you're doing. You can hear them improve your performance, you know, the way a coach does. They don't yell at you, get off the field, you're a clumsy idiot. They'll say, okay, here, this is a better way of doing it. If you position yourself this way and already, and that's what we all need, coaches, in our life. So I'd say yeah. we wrote this book to coach you, to find out how perfect everything is. That's great. No matter how imperfect. <laughs> right. Imperfections is, is perfection. Well, thank you both for your time today. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Um, it's it's thank been you. great. And, and I believe I'm following you both on both uh, Facebook and and, um, and you, Charlie, on Instagram. Um, and so, Again, thank you for your time. It's a wonderful book. Um, I think people, I know people will enjoy it, and especially during these times, it uh, can be a great comfort. So yes. thank you for your time today. All right. Thank you Bless for you. Us. Thanks. 
again, everyone, today my special guests have been Dr. Bernie Siegel and his grandson, Charlie Siegel, talking about the book that they have just released, When You Realize How Perfect Everything Is. Um, again, you can find out more by visiting the website, wisdomoftheages.biz. And um, you can follow Bernie's personal and business um, pages on Facebook and uh, Charlie on Instagram and, oh, boy, Charlie, I don't have it in front of me. Your Instagram, is, your personal is author Charlie um, Siegel, correct? And then your um, business one is photo by SC? Nature photo by SC. Nature Photo by Essie. Okay, great. So uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, Visit our homepage at byteradio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.